back. Y'all can hear all right? Um, I'm going to go ahead and get us started. And what I want to do again today is I want to begin by reading from God's Word. Um, you don't have to turn there. You can turn uh, to Proverbs 3. I'm going to read just verses 5 and 6. And I would assume that these are some verses many of you have memorized um, or they're familiar to most of you. But what I want to do is I read these verses. I want you to think about these verses in light of our topic. Um, think about these verses, again, even though they're familiar, to think about uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 in light of your anxiety. Uh, because oftentimes I think when we read, I mean, to trust in the Lord with all our heart, uh, that we, we don't think about how this implies anxiety. Um, that typically when someone is telling you to trust in them, it shows that there's, or it can imply that there's a lack of trust. Um, that if there's worry, if there's concern, and somebody says, trust me, um, that, that again, it, it's implying that. And so as we read Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, uh, to trust in the Lord with all our heart, to not lean on our understanding, we need to, to, to realize that when we are anxious, when we are worried, oftentimes that's when we're leaning on our own understanding. That all this stuff is going on in our lives and it's making us stressed out and it's because we're leaning on our own understanding. Um, so again, just hearing these words through this lens of anxiety and worry, okay? Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Let me pray for us. Father, give us eyes to see that you are trustworthy. Give us eyes to see, as we opened up reading from the Psalms yesterday, how marvelous you are, how mighty you are. How omnipotent you are, that you are all-powerful, that as we said yesterday, you are in control of absolutely everything, even the difficult situations and circumstances that every one of us uh, find ourselves in at times, um, that you would give us hearts that would trust you, uh, that you would help us to confess our weakness, that we don't have the strength in and of ourselves just to try harder to trust you, but because you are a gracious Father, as we talked about yesterday, uh, you give us that strength to turn away from our own understanding and to see your goodness, your beauty, your faithfulness. And so, Lord, as we, we talk about <clears throat> our stress more, as we, we think about this world that we're living in and the anxieties that are present in this world, um, I pray uh, that you would help us to see uh, that you are in the middle of all of it, uh, that you are over absolutely everything. Spirit, please uh, give us focus now on the truth of your word. I pray that you would sow eternal seeds of truth uh, to all that are present. Uh, Father, I pray uh, for the unbelievers who are present this morning, that they would hear and see your goodness, and that they would turn to you and love you and see you as a faithful Savior in the midst of their suffering. 
I pray for those who are, who are believers here, who profess your name, and that you would strengthen their faith um, by the eternal power of your word. Um, be with us now as we're all weary today, and it can be hard to focus. Uh, Spirit, please wake us up and help us to hear from your word. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. All right, well, uh, I guess starting out with an apology, we could not get the projector to work again. Uh, we're having some issues. So um, I won't have a PowerPoint up here today. I hope we can get this uh, figured out for tomorrow to have something for you guys. I'll try to, if you're like me, I like to know an outline. Um, it's, it's hard for me to follow people at times. And so I'll try to be clear of kind of bullet points and giving you things if you're out there taking notes. Um, so I'll try to help you out with that uh, a little bit. Um, just as we start off today, I think it's always helpful to start off with a little bit of a review. Um, so what are some things you remember from yesterday? This can be new stuff that you learned yesterday. This can be something you already knew but were reminded of. Um, just some, some bullet points. What, what are some things that we talked about yesterday? Yes. Good. Yes, those two truths that we saw from Genesis 3. We're all afraid and we're all hiding. And just a reminder that that wasn't like a um, shaming you, guilt tripping you, like you're all afraid of something, you're all hiding. It's, it's just letting you know, it's revealing something about us because of the fall. Um, so getting us to think about that. Yes, did you have your hand up? Yes, yeah. Sin has impacted all of creation. Um, you know, again, those of us growing up in the church, we've heard about sin a lot. Sometimes I think we don't actually stop and reflect on just how absolutely devastating sin's impact was on all of creation. Uh, not just in our own sinful hearts, but in the ways it impacted, uh, you know, nature, for example, uh, the animal kingdom, vegetation, all of that. And so, yes, yeah, seeing how far-reaching uh, the curse goes. Uh, what is, yes. Okay, there's a sense in which as we, we can dig down into our anxieties, and that's something we're going to get into more today in Matthew 6. Is that me? I'm sorry, what do I do? Um, is it just brushing something? Okay, sorry. I'll just stay like this the whole time. I won't move. Um, it's like digging down in our anxieties, there's a sense in which um, it's trying to be God. We're trying to control things that are going on around us that are starting to stress us out. And so again, like I said, that's some strong language. I hope Matthew 6 will clar clarify that somewhat um, today. Should I just get a handheld or something like that? Um, I'm completely fine with that. If I just grab one of these, will that work? Are you bringing one? Does somebody want to run back there and get it? Somebody fast. It's, it's, like, a, it's like a baton. Baton race. We should add another one right here, too. All right. Thank you. What's your name? Kian. Kian. Thank Kian, everybody, for helping out. Okay, trying to turn this off. Um, so, yes, like I said, hang on a second. Okay. Um, I know that's some strong language talking about, okay, in a sense, it's us trying to be God, but hopefully we can dig down into that a little bit. We can see why Jesus Christ speaks so strongly against worry as we look at Matthew 6 um, more today. 
Uh, any other things you want to throw out for review? Yes? Okay, good. Hiding anywhere else is only going to increase our worry. And there's only one, one place for, for us to ultimately hide. Um, good job. Good. Okay, so today I'm answering the question, just as way of reminder, since I can't put it up there, why not worry? Okay, this is the main question we're focusing on today. Why not worry? Um, and, and in a sense, the main theme of today's talk, kind of the main point, is giving you a theology of pain. Okay, the main point is giving you a theology of suffering. And I know many of you are like, great, John. <laughs> it's nine in the morning. I love talking about pain and suffering. I'm so glad I woke up to hear somebody talk about pain and suffering. Um, but, but here's the reality. If I did not talk to you about pain, would pain cease to exist? No. Um, it's out there, right? As Paul David Tripp, some of you may know, and I think... There's a book entitled Suffering that's back there. Um, <clears throat> as he says, you're either in the middle of suffering right now or it's coming for you. We don't like to hear that. We don't want to talk about that. But that doesn't mean it's not true. And so there's a sense in which I hope this talk will prepare you for something that is coming for you. Or is either something you're in the midst of? So as we're talking about why not worry, it's important to look at suffering, all right? And so what I want you to do, again, since I cannot put it up there, turn to Matthew 6 in your Bibles. If you don't have your Bibles, try to look on with somebody. Uh, Matthew 6, uh, specifically verses 25 through 34. <clears throat> Matthew 6, verses 25 through 34. Um, whenever someone is talking about worry, this is often the passage that people will point, uh, point you to in Scripture. There is a parallel passage in Luke that talks about this, but this kind of seems like the go-to passage that's talking about worry and anxiety. Um, and just kind of giving you some idea of where we are in, in Scripture, this is during the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. Um, so right here in the middle, Matthew 6, Jesus Christ is speaking here. Matthew 6, verse 25. Uh, this is God's word. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need all of them. 
But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Okay? Um, somebody read that last sentence out loud again. That very last sentence. If you still have it open. Okay, thank you. All right. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Okay? What is that saying? Because that's not really how we talk. You know, none of you got up this morning and said, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Nobody really speaks like that. What is that saying? Somebody tell me. Yes. Okay. There's enough trouble in one day. All right. Let's get really specific. Okay, what is that saying? Yes. Okay, you don't have to worry about things for tomorrow because you already have enough to worry about. Same thing. Um, this means some of you may throw up today because you haven't had enough water, okay? Drink your water. Some of you might get dehydrated today, right? Is that possible or impossible? It's possible. Some of you may break something today, all right? Happens all the time. People, you know, breaking a toe here or playing gaga ball and scraping their knuckles like on the ground. How many has that happened to out here? Many, right? Okay. Um, we could freak ourselves out by starting to think of absolutely everything that could happen to us today and become more anxious thinking about it, right? But like I said yesterday, Jesus Christ does not pull punches here. He is very honest with us. There's enough trouble in each and every day. But there is plenty to be worried about in just one day. So don't start thinking ahead. Don't start thinking about all these other... There's so much that's, that could happen today. That's a reality. And so that can seem kind of discouraging, but I think it just shows what a gracious Savior we have, that he's preparing us for this. He's not sugarcoating life in a fallen world. Um, he's preparing us for, for just things that can go wrong and, and telling us, you know, not to worry ultimately. And so again, just, just asking this question, why not worry. I want to share a story with you um, about a, a friend of mine named Josh. Um, Josh was a, a friend who was, uh, he, he was a guy who never met a stranger. Do you know what I mean when I say someone who never met a stranger? Always able to talk to absolutely anyone. Like if we were standing in a line somewhere, he would just turn around to the complete strangers behind us and just start talking to them. And he would just be able to carry on a conversation. And sometimes we had to tell Josh to be quiet because he just talked so much. Um, but he was just a very likable guy. He knew kind of absolutely everyone. Um, well, well, Josh was, was diagnosed with a disease um, that gave him a very short uh, lifespan, uh, life expectancy, um, kind of the, around the years 18 to 21, kind of in that frame. He was um, told that's about how long he would live. Um, you know, he always sounded like he had a cold. Uh, he was always coughing. And uh, 
Sure enough, around the age of 21, Josh died. Um, he was headed off to Thomas Law School when he passed away. Um, he was one of my very good friends in middle school and high school, which I guess just 18 to 21. Who's 18 to 21 in here? Any leaders, chaperones? Okay. So, yeah, that was his life expectancy. Um, and so as I've thought, you know, as I've gotten older, there's a lot of questions I have about my friend Josh's life. And, you know, as I'm older and I'm, I'm a parent, you know, I think about all that kind of through the lens of being a parent. One question I have is, you know, when did Josh's parents tell him that he was not supposedly going to live that long? Uh, that this sickness that he had, this disease that he had, it's diagnosable around the age of two. So I would assume when he was your age, middle school, he knew. I'm sure when he was in 6th, 7th, and 8th grade, he knew that he had this disease. And he knew that he wouldn't live that long. And so I've wondered, you know, how, how did Josh deal with this reality? I mean, the reality is none of us are guaranteed this afternoon. None of you are guaranteed tomorrow. Anything could happen to all of us to take us off of this planet. Uh, but, but he knew doctors, medical prof professionals were telling him, 18 to 21, that's probably as, as long as you will, will live. Um, so how did he deal with this knowledge just kind of every day of his life? Um, I can remember one time being over at his house, and a nurse came by when I was over there. It was fairly common for nurses to, to come over and um, they were talking about just some possible medication that he could do. And this medication would require a port uh, being put in him, which meant like a tube inserted into his side um, to give him kind of constant medication. And um, part of that, they said, you know, you're going to have to have this, you know, box or something that's just kind of connected to you. And so he was going to have to wear a fanny pack with that. Um, Fanny packs are kind of coming back in style in kind of a funny way, I guess, now. Um, in the 90s, they were not. <laughs> um, and so I remember I was kind of sitting behind Josh. I was standing behind Josh. Josh was sitting there in the chair, and the nurse was talking to him. And I just saw tears begin to drop. And, you know, I couldn't see Josh's face, but I realized, you know, wow, this is obviously tough for him to hear that, um, because I knew, you know, why, why was he crying about this? Part of it, I knew if Josh had to wear a fanny pack, 500 people at school would be wearing a fanny pack the next day for Josh, because we love Josh, but it's just he knew he was walking around with this sickness, and why was he having to deal with it? Um, and so as we think about, you know, Matthew 6, as we think about what Jesus Christ is saying, is it appropriate to go up to a Josh and say, don't worry? Is it appropriate to go to his parents and say, don't be anxious? You see, I think that almost sounds offensive, right? Or just completely unrealistic. To go up to parents 
who, who are watching their child die and say, don't worry. Don't be anxious. Scripture tells you not to be anxious. And so what I want us to do with that, I mean, sharing that story for many reasons is sometimes we can just, we can read the Bible. We can know verses of Scripture. We can understand theology. But when you bring it down to street level, it can be hard to believe. It can be hard to trust them. Now, we can just tell people left and right, hey, don't be anxious about tomorrow. But then when you know someone who's dealing with something serious like this, which may be some of you, maybe you have a family member who is very sick, that these kind of verses can just, again, be offensive. Who are you to tell me not to be anxious about this? Again, my loved one is dying, for example. So trying to get us to think about this, again, get real with the theology uh, we profess. Because look, there's all sorts of things you can be fearful of. I mean, thinking, okay, that one end of the spectrum, you know, just death of a loved one, serious sickness, affliction that's going on, but then kind of minor, what we might categorize as minor forms of suffering. Minor afflictions. Maybe just kind of like minor Awkward moments in life, okay? There have been a lot of TV shows that have just capitalized on awkwardness <laughs> that we just kind of like to cringe at, but we also don't, and it's like we cannot look away. I mean, we think of The Office, for example. To me, it seemed like they just did the best at just highlighting awkwardness and just discomfort, but it is kind of a minor form of pain. So if we're talking about pain on a spectrum, maybe it's that end of the spectrum, share another story with you that kind of captures that. Um, I worked in insurance right out of uh, college, and um, I was in this office that probably had, I don't know, 500, 600 people uh, in this office, and it had several floors, and how we would communicate with each other was through an instant messaging uh, software that was just for our insurance company. So if I was on the second floor and I needed to talk to somebody on the top floor, right? we could just IM each other instead of having to walk up and down the stairs. And as I was there, I was close to this, this group of people right out of college. There were probably six or seven of them. And um, I'm pretty certain I was the only believer among them. And so oftentimes I would, you know, try by God's grace to be a witness or to find opportunities to, to share the gospel uh, with them. This was a, a story where I was not a good witness, <laughs> for the faith that I profess. Um, th there was this one girl in the group who kind of stirred up trouble at times. Uh, we'll call her Sally. If there's any Sallys out there, I'm not picking on you. I'm just throwing that name out there. Um, and uh, she had done something at the break one day and said some things, and it bothered the group. And we all went back to our desk, and this guy was instant messaging me about just his frustrations of what she had done. We were kind of going back and forth, sharing frustrations about what she had done. And, you know, I said something I can't remember exactly and just sent it to him. And then he didn't reply. And then he didn't reply. And I was thinking, why, why is he taking so long? Because we were going back and forth on this, and then it's just silent. And then she replied because I accidentally messaged her instead of him. So as we're talking about this girl, 
her name was obviously on my mind, so I just entered her name in the message to send it to instead of him. And so I just said everything to her instead of him. Um, raise your hand if you think that was awkward. It was incredibly awkward, incredibly uncomfortable. Look, incredibly painful, right? Um, and so, again, I cannot remember all the details of that instant message, but I know we talked it through, we worked it out, um, everything's fine now, uh, but it was uncomfortable. It was awkward. Um, and you know what, I, I would say that many of you have gone through something like that. Raise your hand if you have a smartphone here. Okay, many of you do. Um, maybe you've done that. Maybe you've accidentally texted the wrong person something. Maybe you accidentally sent a, a message or a picture to the wrong person that you did not mean to do to, to send it to. And you just cringe thinking about that. Um, the, the interesting thing, I mean, just thinking about gossip a little bit, I mean, from that story, is obviously Scripture tells us not to gossip. But what's interesting about that is that we end up being the ones who suffer oftentimes. Like if you're a gossip in this room, if you just gossip about people behind their backs, what that ends up doing is, yes, that harms another individual, but it also makes you a paranoid person. It gives you a heart that wonders when you're not in the group, what is everybody else saying about me when I'm not around? It just fosters this lack of trust. It fosters this paranoia. And so, yes, I mean, Scripture commands us not to do it because it's not honoring ultimately to the Lord, a form of deceit. It's also not honoring to other image bearers. But then Scripture's telling us that because it ends up harming us. So God's trying to pr protect us um, in a sense. And so, look, as we, we're asking the question again not to worry, there's so much to worry about from minor uh, just affliction, awkward moments like that to, to major issues. Um, I had an image of a Time Magazine article that I wanted to put up here. Um, and this Time Magazine uh, came out in November of 2016. Can somebody tell me what was going on in November of 2016? The election. Okay. The cover of this Time Magazine um, had nothing to do with the presidential election. Um, but this cover was more newsworthy than what was going on the election, which is very telling. It's uh, the, the, the cover says anxiety, depression, and the modern adolescent. What, what that was telling us in this Time Magazine article um, was what we've heard from a lot of research. Someone, a professor named Dr. Gene Twangy, put out research that says teenagers today are dealing with anxiety and depression at a rate that is significantly higher than any generation in United States history. That you guys, middle school and high school, are four times as high, I mean, your levels of anxiety, than any generation in United States history. That's alarming. Gene Twenge says we're, we're on the, the brink of the, the largest mental health crisis in decades with you guys, and again, those who are older than you as well. And so my question is, why? Why? 
what, what is different about you guys? I mean, it's not like, hey, we just discovered this new thing called anxiety. We don't know what to do with it. I mean, it's been around for a while. We just read from Matthew 6. It was in Jesus' time. Again, we, we trace back yesterday to, to Genesis 3, kind of seeing the origins of anxiety. But what is it about your generation that's different? Why, why are you guys struggling at higher rates with anxiety and depression than any other generation? Well, what I wanted to do, and this is what I mentioned yesterday, was to zoom in on your schedules, was to think about your daily lives, to try to think about, okay, what is going on in your day-to-day lives? And again, this is where it stinks that I don't have a PowerPoint to be pulling up some of these, but just kind of thinking about some of the things that, that are going on in, in each of your lives each day. I mean, you have school that you're dealing with, whether that's homeschool, public school, private school. You have extracurriculars, whether that's sports or some kind of club you're a part of. Some of you may have a, work, have a job or you work somewhere. Some of you might have some sort of service. I know there are schools that require uh, service hours. And so just thinking about those things I just listed, if that's kind of part of your schedule, that's a full day. All of that, you know, school alone, you've got a certain designated time where you're going to school, but there's projects that are after school, projects before school, sports. I mean, I've been in student ministry for over 15 years. I've had plenty of students who do workouts before school. They go to school, and then they go to practice after school, and then they get home after practice, and they study until 1 a.m., and they go to bed, and they get up, and they do it all again in the morning. It's kind of a schedule of a student. Um, but then kind of asking some of the things that are in there, is there any family time? Is there any time together as a family? That can be defined in a lot of different ways. You know, what does that even look like? But, but there is enough to show that if, if there isn't some kind of time with the family, that can create more stress in your life. Um, is there any kind of fun or leisure time? Do you just have kind of free time in your schedule that's just kind of leisure? Um, is there time for church in your schedule? Sometimes this can be an optional thing. You know, it's like I've got to study for the test. I've got to commit to the team. If there's time later, I can squeeze church in. Or is, is church a part of your schedule? So, again, I, I wanted to have this up here just so you could kind of focus on it, think about it a little more deeply. But also what I wanted to do is not just put your schedule up there and, and just kind of see the external schedule that you have. I wanted to zoom in on the heart level of your schedules. You know, we can put up the activities, all that you're involved in, but trying to dig down on kind of the emotional, the, the, the mental, the physical toil that your schedules can take on, take on you at times. You know, thinking of academics alone, many of you have a lot of stress about maintaining a GPA. You have a lot of stress about taking a certain number of AP classes, trying to get the scholarship, trying to get into this certain college. I would say that's definitely a source of anxiety for some of you out here. Now, some of what you need to know is some of this is just the part, like practically becoming an adult. That each passing year, you most likely will get increased responsibility that is just teaching you what it's like to be an adult. 
And it may increase stress for a time, but it's actually teaching you to balance more. And so there's a sense in which that stress can be a good thing, where you can look back on life and be like, wow, I'm actually doing more than I formerly could. There was a time in my life where this would have stressed me out, but now I'm kind of here and I'm able to deal with it. And so you need to realize that your academics are, su- are supposed to give you a certain amount of stress. That can be a healthy thing, okay? It can also be unhealthy, and that's where you would need to talk to your parents about how much is too much, how many AP classes should you take, should you be in AP classes? You know, is the GPA becoming an idol that you're pursuing? As we think about extracurricular activities, I mean, thinking of sports alone, sports are a good gift from God. What you have to realize, something that I talked about last year, is that your body is not yours. You realize that? The Bible tells you your body does not belong to you. God owns your body. God made your body. Part of the way we take care of it as Christians is by stewarding it. We can steward it by playing sports. It's one way. Sports can be a good thing. It can take care of the body that God has given you. But one thing, just very practically speaking, is the way God has designed the body, it needs rest to function. You actually have to have rest for your body to function. I mean, just the the practical example, if you go to the weight room, you're actually not building muscle in a sense when you go to the weight room. When you're lifting weights, you're shredding your muscles. You're tearing your muscles apart when you go lift weights. It's the rest that's allowing them to repair and to heal. That if you just go into the gym every day and you lift the same thing every single day, you're going to end up injuring yourself. So very practically speaking, you don't have to be a Christian to believe this, your body needs physical rest. And so asking yourself, how much rest are you getting? Um, Sleep specialists say about nine hours a night is what teenagers need to get. And we can just go ahead and laugh at that. Um, But they are specialists for a reason. Um, They they know some of what what our body needs to be repairing and recovering. Look, I had, um, again, some pictures to put up. How many of you know who Roger Federer is? Raise your hand if you know Roger Federer, okay? Um, there was a time where he was consistently the number one tennis player in the world, still playing at a high level. Um, just, just imagine that. Like, he could walk into a stadium filled with 100,000 people and be like, no one in here can beat me at this sport. He could look at just crowds of people and know, like, I am the best on the planet. No one can beat me in this. Like, just crazy to think about having that level of giftedness. Um, He gets 11 to 12 hours of sleep a night. 11 to 12 hours. And so there's a sense in which we could say part of the reason he's the best is because of sleep. Now, I'm not telling you if you start sleeping 11 to 12 hours a night, you're going to be the number one tennis player in the world. He's got a few other gifts. But this one way he takes care of the gift. Usain Bolt. How many of you know who Usain Bolt is? Okay. Fastest man on the planet you know, multiple gold medalists. Uh, he gets eight to ten hours of sleep a night. Eight to ten. Uh, LeBron James, any of you guys heard of him? Any chance? Uh, he gets 12 hours of sleep a night. Twelve. Okay? And sometimes we even think, okay, look, 
you follow him on Instagram, he's not sleeping all the time. Like, he's out doing stuff. So I don't know exactly how he fits that in, but he is very strict on his sleep. Um, I know, you know I've, I've talked to somebody who is associated with the New England Patriots, and they have a special sleep room in the locker room. They have a sleep doctor that's assigned to every single player on that team to tell them if they're getting enough sleep. And they're very strict on making sure their athletes get a certain amount of sleep. So all I'm trying to say is sleep is very important. And just kind of practically speaking, if you're not getting enough sleep, that may be why you have increased levels of anxiety. Our bodies were created to have a certain amount of rest. And so thinking about that in your schedules. Look, thinking about all the relationships you have in your life. Um, you know, thinking of teachers and coaches. Both of my parents are teachers. Uh, my uncle is a coach. There are very good teachers. There are very good coaches. There are also not so good teachers, not so good coaches. Uh, one time when I was playing football in high school, just sharing this story, um, I remember I was getting my locker combination for my locker to put my equipment in. And I went to it and I tried to unlock the, the lock and it didn't unlock. So I had to go back to the coach and ask for the locker combination again. Still didn't unlock. You know, everyone was kind of coming into the locker room. It was kind of stressful. I could tell he was getting annoyed. Had to ask him again. Still didn't unlock. I was like, please, unlock, please. And I had to go back to him again and ask for the combination. He screamed at me. He cussed me. He humiliated me in front of the entire team. And then he went over to my locker, and as he was unlocking it, I saw his clipboard, and he'd given me the wrong locker combination. And he didn't even realize it. I realized it. Nobody else did. But I was humiliated. And it wasn't even my fault. There was an injustice. I didn't even do anything wrong. And I bring that up to say, I never shared that with anybody. I just carried that around with me. And my question for you is, what are you carrying around with you? as middle schoolers, what are some relationships, the relational baggage you're dealing with? What are relationships that have just treated you wrong? Maybe an injustice has happened to you. Maybe someone just humiliated you. Maybe someone just shamed you or guilt-tripped you, and you're just carrying that around. And you haven't opened up to share that with anyone. To the youth workers who are present with you here, to your parents, that you haven't opened up to anyone. And so you're just, again, carrying that around, and it's going to increase the anxiety, the stress that you're, you're dealing with. You know, I think of, hopefully, some of you have relationships with your youth workers on this trip, if they're volunteer, if they're uh, whatever capacity they're serving in, that you have some kind of relationship with them. I can tell you, as I just said, I was in student ministry for a while. Uh, there were times where I had to confront students for sin. I had to confront students dealing with drugs, drug issues, uh, sexually related sin. And I can tell you that created a lot of stress in my life. <laughs> That's not fun to do that. Um, but because what I can read in scripture, I'm, I'm called to do that because I loved these students because I saw them harming themselves that I didn't have a choice. I had to, to confront on this. And so one aspect of kind of this stress, anxieties we're talking about that's important is something 
called a conscience, okay? Many of you have heard that word, that you have been given a conscience. And what you need to realize is that this is a gift from God, and this is something that tells you right from wrong. And so please hear me as we're talking about anxiety, and I'm bringing up this, uh, this issue of the conscience. Some of you students, if you're indulging in sin behind closed doors and you think no one else is watching you, obviously God is always watching you, but what you need to realize is your conscience could be making you feel anxious over the sin you're indulging in. And really, we'd put that kind of in a category of godly sorrow. Your conscience is saying, this is not right. Your conscience is saying, you are harming yourself. And so if you're indulging in sin behind closed doors and you think you're getting away with it, it could be that your conscience is actually creating this lack of peace in your heart. Because again, it's a gift saying this is not how you're supposed to function. This is not going to help you. This is actually going to harm you. And so there are many, again, many other relationships that you're dealing with on a daily basis. We talked a little bit about just people bullying you at school, making life miserable for you at school. So relationships are a gift from God. We are created to have relationships, and they can be a blessing, but they can also be very difficult and can be a source of stress in your daily lives as you're, again, just going through school, trying to survive one day. And so, so some other things to be thinking about, things in which you could be bullied for, I mean, body image issues, right? Um, I mean, 24-7, you're being fed images of what you should look like, right? Um, whether that's through Instagram, whether that's through billboards, whether that's through magazine aisles at the grocery store, you're seeing images all the time of what you should look like, right? Or this is the standard you should strive for. I know so many of you are dealing with that. Again, being a student minister, I've heard students in middle school and younger struggling with this. And so you're walking around. I mean, that's just one issue. You're walking around with so much guilt and shame for so much. We don't have time to get into all the areas. And then some of you are wrestling with doubts, Maybe some of you have grown up in the church your entire life and you're getting to the point where you're thinking, do I actually believe what I've been taught? Do I actually truly believe what's, what's being communicated to me? And so again, I wish I had, you know, could put this up here. I had just kind of check mark boxes just to, to list some of what you're dealing with every day. Busyness, physical fatigue, lack of sleep, relational tension, sin, just over all of this, your conscience, emotional pressure, guilt, shame, doubt. Everybody hear me. That's one day of your life. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. That was one day in your life. It should not be a shock that we're struggling with anxiety, with stress. And that's a lot to be carrying around with you. And so some of what, and I'm, I'm closing with this because I know we're running out of time, kind of giving you this theology of pain, what you need to realize is that everyone on the planet is ultimately longing for heaven 
okay? Even if they don't use that language, it's their version of heaven. It's their version of peace. I think Morgan got into some of this last night of just, you know, we, we have this because, because what's, we kind of need to see the, the origins of this. Every single human has a soul inside of them that will never die. Okay? Everyone has a soul that will never die. And every soul knows it has a knowledge of the garden and it has a knowledge of glory. So when pain comes about in your life, you just want it to stop immediately because you were not created for pain. You were not created for suffering. You were created for a place of perfect peace, perfect joy, again, no sorrow. And so when pain and suffering comes into your life, your body is saying, this is not right. This is not how it's supposed to be. So you just try to stop it as quickly as you can. There are ways in which we want to just numb that suffering and just make that suffering cease. Um, and again, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit more tomorrow. As I said, we'll, we'll kind of continue this. But, but ending with this, because I know we're, we're running out of time, and I'll kind of finish up um, to clarify some things for tomorrow. Getting back to the question, why not worry? All right? Again, we just went through your schedule. We showed there's plenty for you to worry about. There's plenty of pain that you're dealing with, you know, on the spectrum from severe to kind of minor affliction that you're dealing with. But getting to the question, why not worry? Here's two answers that are very obvious and very simple, but they need to be stated. Why not worry? First, Jesus told us not to. That's a good reason, right? Okay. We just looked at everything, you know, painted a bleak picture of what our days can look like. But for some reason, Jesus Christ, who's just a little smarter than us, said, do not worry. Okay? Why would he say that? Especially as I got really real about my friend who passed away. How could Jesus Christ say that when all this kind of suffering is going on? The second reason we shouldn't worry, which Jesus Christ also says, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Jesus Christ says, who can add a single hour to his life by worrying? And so what we've got to see, when Jesus Christ commands us not to worry, as I brought that up yesterday, yesterday, and it can sound harsh when he commands us, he does this for two reasons. First, he loves his father, and he knows that worrying doubts his father. And so he's saying, do not worry. My father is good. My father is loving. If you remember, the fathers who came up to Adam and Eve, even in the midst of their rebellion, and loved them and provided for them. So do not worry because it doubts his father. Secondly, Jesus Christ tells us not to worry because he knows it harms you. It hurts you. Anxiety is only going to make you more miserable. Because even as we said, being anxious about tomorrow, which Jesus Christ talked about, sometimes you'll worry about things that never even actually happen. And so you go through all the pain of it actually happening, and it's never even going to happen. And so why not worry? Jesus Christ commands us not to, and it doesn't work. All right? But again, Jesus acknowledges that there's plenty to be worried about, as we just kind of acknowledge today. So look, tomorrow as we're wrapping this up, I'm going to give you kind of seven 
truths that you can hopefully take with you to try to deal with some of this anxiety that some of you might be wrestling with. But I know I'm getting over time, so let me go ahead and pray, and y'all need to get out of here. Father, we thank you again for the truth of your word. We thank you for something that speaks truth back to us. Lord, our hearts are deceitful. They're constantly lying to us. We are walking around with so much going on in life that living life one day in this world is as great and as beautiful as it is. It's broken and it's hard. I pray that the truth of your word uh, would be applied to all of these students, these leaders, myself included, in a way that you know them intimately and you can uh, show them just the power of your gospel and the power of your truth that you would encourage them uh, in the midst of life in a broken world. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.